a rock. A storm ripped through our town and just destroyed everything. Power lines were down right here on Skillman. There was a live power line across the road for, for a while, and thankfully some people were out there kind of you know, directing people around it. But trees got ripped in half. I mean, some massive, huge trees just completely splintered right here in our neighborhood. But uh, did anybody have as much fun as I did trying to navigate your way home through all of these blinking lights? I think I tried like every way around and every time I would like, you know, get off the road I was going on and try to get over here, I'd get stuck there and then have to go back. And my drive home was like tripled. Um, You know, first world problem as far as a commute goes, but still kind of a, a little bit of a nuisance. But I know some people were not so lucky uh, to, 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 as I, we, we didn't have our power go out, but I know some folks weren't, weren't quite that lucky. I know some, some people out in Arlington that I saw, um, friends of mine on Facebook were out of power, you know, without power for days. But uh, that was the one thing this week that I, I thought that was just kind of made this week crazy here in Dallas. But of course, Cody kind of referenced it earlier. Then we had this Ebola thing going on where people on social media are all freaking out and everybody's wondering what's going to happen. And, you know, it was just a week where kind of mayhem was, was, was running amok here in our city. When we think about natural disasters and diseases, as horrible as they are, and, and they are, these are just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we turn on our TV and we see that war continues to rip through our world. We look at the situation of what's going on with ISIS and all of this stuff, and we just long to see it come to an end. We want to see it stop. Here in our own city, we have humans who are being trafficked, men and chil- uh, I mean, women and children who are in bondage, being grossly abused right here in our city. And maybe some of us have experienced injustice in our own family. Maybe your kids have come home from school and they've been bullied. They've had their lunch money stolen. They've been called names that nobody should be called. Regardless of how we experience it or, or how we, we, see, we see it, it is very evident that something is radically wrong with our world. It is very evident that things are not as they should be and that it is not fair. And because of that, something that is true for all of us is that we long for justice. We want to see the horrible things that are happening in our world made right. And thankfully, God has promised to do just that. He has promised to bring about perfect justice, but the question is, how can we, you and I, how can we experience the justice that God promises to bring? How can we taste firsthand our broken world being changed and put back together? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 42. There's a blue Bible in the back of the pew in front of you if you need one. So Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. And as we look at this, we're going to find out how we can personally experience justice in our world. And I want to pray for us real quick uh, before we jump into the text, and then I'll invite you to stand with me as we read this together. Let's pray. 
Lord, we come before you today, um, maybe in different ways, but, but for sure, all of us have seen and experienced the fact that our world is very broken. We come to you today looking to you to provide direction for us, to speak truth to our hearts so that we can look to the future without fear, so that we can live today without worry. God, I ask that your spirit would be present for the next half hour as we look at your word and and talk about it together. I ask that you would guide my mouth and guide my mind, that you would give us the truth that we need to hear today, that, that most importantly, you would be with us, that your presence would be here among us and that you would have your way with this time. God, our world is messed up. It's very broken and we need you to change it and we need you to change us. And so we ask that you would, would give us hearts that are open, ears that are, that are open to what you have to say to us and we ask that you would help us to take your truth and to, to build our lives on it as we leave this place. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and read Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. This is Isaiah 42, in verse 1 it says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. And the coastlines wait for his law. Coastlands. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. All right, thank you. You can take a seat. So this text begins to unpack for us how we can experience justice personally for ourselves. And the first thing the text tells us in verses 1 through 4 is what God is going to do. It says what, is, what God is going to do. In verse 1, God is speaking to his people, Israel. He says this. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. So this is who God's servant is. He is upheld by God. He's chosen by God. He's delighted in by God. And then it says he has received God's spirit. That's who the servant is. But what does God tell us that his servant will do? What does he tell his people that this servant will do? Look at the end of verse 1. It says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. So the servant's role is, in God's mission. That's what we're, we're in a series right now called Missio Dei. We're talking about the mission of God. The servant's role 
in God's mission is bringing justice to the nations. I want to point out four things that I see here about the servant's role in God's mission as far as it come, comes, pertains to bringing justice. First of all, in ver- both verses 1 and 3, God says his servant will bring forth justice. He will bring forth justice. So what that means for us is that justice is something that has to be received. It has to be received from God, from his servant. It is not something that we can manufacture. It's not something that we can just try harder and, and, and bring. It is something that we have to receive. It'll be brought forth by the servant. And secondly, according to verse 3, the servant will faithfully bring forth justice. It says faithfully. And so what that means is that he will do this with truth, relying on God, being connected to the one who is sending him. He will rely on him instead of trying to exert himself and trying to come in and be like everybody else who tries to exert their power and establish their reign and do that in ways that are domineering. Look at, look at the imagery here. When you read this, if you're like me, you read verses 2 and 3, and you're like, what in the world is he talking about? But I, I think it helps us understand what this means as far as faithfully bringing forth justice. God uses these three images in these verses to make a point. Look at verse 2. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So what I I believe that this is telling us is that the servant won't come yelling and shouting. He won't use his voice to bring justice. It's not that he's just going to be loud and rambunctious and try to scare people into submission. I didn't prepare this, but right now, I don't know if you've ever seen any video footage of what Hitler did. He did that. He used his voice to try to bring about what he wanted to do. What God is saying here is that his servant will not be like that. He will not come yelling and screaming and trying to scare people into line. Look down at verse 3. It says, A bruised reed he will not break. A bruised reed he will not break. And so what I I take that to mean is that the servant is not going to come with brute force or domination. He is going to be so gentle that even, think of it as like like a, a blade of grass that is, that is barely hanging on, he will be so gentle that, that that dangling blade will not break. That's what he's talking about, is, is his gentleness. He will not use his physical strength to bring justice. You know, the image I think of right now is, is Samson, when he push, pushed the pillars of the building in order to, to accomplish something that was very holy, but he used his physical strength. To, do, to bring about um, justice. The servant's not going to do that. That's not going to be the way that he rolls. Look down with me at verse 3 again, and, and we'll read this last image. It says, a, And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. If you can think of like a candle that's just barely, barely lit, you know, like the wick is just barely, barely burning. It doesn't take much to put that out. You barely, I mean, you can just speak and, and, and the puff of wind from your mouth will knock that out. But the servant is going to come with quietness and humility and simplicity 
so much so that he wouldn't even put out a barely burning wick candle. The third thing that we see here about the servant's mission to bring justice is that because of his faithfulness, look at verse 4, it says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. Still, he has established justice. So, because he is faithful, because he comes not trying to exert him, his power and dominance, because he comes relying on the Father, relying on God, we see that he will not just attempt to bring justice or try to bring justice. He will accomplish his role. He will accomplish his mission. He will establish justice. He will establish it. So when you, when you look at all of this, we see that we don't have to wonder if this is going to happen. We don't have to question if it's going to come about. We can know that God will bring justice. He says he will establish it through his servant. The final thing I want to point out here is that there is a scope for the justice that this servant will bring. Notice in verse 1 it says, He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then when you jump down to verse 4, it says, He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. In the earth. So the servant's task in bringing, bringing justice is actually going to happen across the entire world. There's not a part of our globe, there's not a people group that will miss out on this justice that will come through the servant. So the first thing that we, we learn from this text is that God's servant will faithfully bring forth and establish justice in our broken world. God's servant will faithfully bring forth and establish justice in our broken world. Now, we've talked a little bit about the servant and what he's going to do, but I think it's also important as in verse 5, God uh, really takes some, some time to explain who he is who the God is who is sending his servant. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. So first of all, we see that God is the Lord, the Lord. And then in verse 6, he identifies himself. He says, I am... I am the Lord. Thus says God the Lord, and then in verse 6 we see, I am the Lord. That, and then down in verse 8, jump down there with me, it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. Now, if you're reading along in the ESV, which the blue ones are that, and, and that's what I'm reading, you'll notice that Lord here is capitalized. All four letters are, are uppercase. Anytime you see that in the ESV, what that means is that is a translation for God's personal name, Yahweh, I am. When we, when we see it in all caps, it means that it's not just Lord as in master, it's Lord as in God's personal name. And, and we see that spelled out for us here because it says, that is my name. So the God who sends his servant is none other than I am, the same God who revealed himself first by that name to Moses in the burning bush. Remember that? Remember he said, when they ask who sent me, what am I to tell them? He says, I am. I am sends, sends you. And so this is Yahweh. This is Israel's God. This is 
Yahweh speaking to his people, saying that he will send his servant to them. But what else do we see about this God? It says, he created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. This God is Yahweh. He is the personal God of Israel, but he is also creator, creator of all, the one who called all things into existence. And then look down at verse, uh, the last part of verse 5. It says, who, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. So God is creator, and then here we see that God is also life giver. He is the one who all people receive the breath of life from, the one who sustains everything. This is important stuff for us to know because if God is promising to send a servant to bring justice to the entire earth, wouldn't it be nice to be comforted with the fact that this God has the power and ability to do that? And when we're talking about the one sending his servant isn't just one among a bunch of gods. This is the only God, Yahweh, creator, sustainer, life giver. Anytime you and I receive a promise from somebody, we take into account the person's character, credibility, and trustworthiness, right? I think God in these verses is spelling this out for us because he's saying, hey, you can count on me to stand on, to, to make good on my promise. What I'm telling you is something you can take to the bank. You have zero, you, can, you don't have to doubt this at all, you don't have to worry about this. I, the one who created it all, who sustains your very life, am promising to do this. I'm the one sending my servant. So God, the God who sends his servant is Yahweh, the Lord, the creator and life giver. So we've talked about God's servant. We've talked about what he's going to do and, and, what, and who, who God is, the one who sends him. But we're still not quite to the answer for the question of how we can experience that. Before we can get there, we need to understand how in the world is this servant going to actually establish justice? Because it sounds nice to receive the promise. It sounds nice to know that it's coming from the God, creator, life giver, sustainer of all. But how in the world is this going to happen? We live in a world where we see brokenness all around us, and it makes us wonder, is this really ever going to stop? Look at verse 6. Uh, yeah, verse 6 with me. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Now he's starting to speak to the servant directly. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Those who sit in darkness. In verse 6, he says, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Here's the, the, one of the big ideas. We can't miss this. God's servant won't just bring justice. He will be justice. He doesn't just bring it. He is justice. Because he is righteous, if you want to you do a, a, an independent study in the book of Isaiah and really in the Old Testament as a whole, righteousness and justice are very intermingled. Justice is really the outward expression of righteousness. Because Jesus is righteous, he comes not just bringing justice, but being justice. 
because his, the servant will himself be a covenant for the people. So at this point in, in Israel's history, a little bit of a, a, a overview of the Old Testament. So in Genesis 12, God comes to Abram, and he tells him, I'm going to bless you so that all people will be blessed through you. He says, I'm going to bless you so that all the nations will experience my blessing. And you will be a blessing. So God comes and he's going to form this people group out of Abram, this nation Israel. And they are going to be the channel, the pipeline through which God pours out his goodness on all the earth. And then in, in 2 Samuel 7, which is the Davidic covenant, which we read about a couple of weeks ago, God promises David that he will have one from his line who will reign forever, who will be one of the instrumental people in bringing this justice to the earth. Well, at this point in Israel's history, in Isaiah, they're now living in exile because their nation has completely been ripped apart. And they are in a situation where they were supposed to be God's vehicle to which he would bring blessings to the world, and they have failed to do that because they are not obedient, they are not righteous, they are not fulfilling what God has called them to do. Hear what God is promising them. He's saying, listen, what you can't do for the nations, what you have demonstrated that you are incapable of, I'm sending my servant. And he will be what you are called to be. He will fill in the gaps. He will be the one who makes good on what you are not able to do. So justice, according to what we're seeing in this passage, is bringing the righteousness of God to the world. And justice only exists when creation is rightly restored to the God who created it when creation works in the way that God intended it for, to work, the way he created it to work before Adam and Eve fell in the garden. The only way creation can experience justice is by being reconciled to God, their creator. And then we'll see how the servant accomplishes that here in verses 7, at the end of 6 and then 7. It says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And then he expands upon that. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. So this servant comes and he brings justice by enabling people who cannot see, both physically and spiritually, more importantly, spiritually. He will restore their sight by taking care of their sin by reconciling them to God. And he will also bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So those who are spiritually held captive by sin, completely removed from God, unable to know him, unable to honor him and live in the way that he created them to live, he will come and be the key that unlocks their chains and sets them free. God's servant comes to take away the sins of the people. And if you read the rest of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 53 or 55, maybe both, you'll see the idea where this, where this really is fleshed out. 
But God's servant is a covenant. He is God's way to bridge the gap. He is not, no longer is God just giving people a covenant by which he plans to do work through them. Now God is giving his people a covenant in a person. He is sending someone who himself will be their promise, who himself will be the one who bridges the gap in, between them and God. So God's servant will establish justice by reconciling all of creation, by reconciling people from among the nations to the Lord God, giving them spiritual sight, giving them freedom from sin. So God's servant will establish justice in our broken world by reconciling the nations to the Lord God, creator and life giver. What we see here, I want to just kind of help us understand this in, in a simple imagery for, for things to be right on the earth, for things to be right in creation, for things to be right between people, what, what this text is communicating is that things have to be right with God. People have to be connected rightly to their creator, the one who is the one who is going to bring justice, who has promised to do that. They have to be rightly connected to God. The servant comes to do just that. To, make the, to restore the connection vertically so that horizontally things can work out, so that horizontally peace and justice can actually come and be established. So if this is true, how can we experience perfect justice in our broken world? If this is, if this is the way that God is planning on establishing justice, what does it look like for us to experience God putting our world back together? Well, first of all, I believe we have to be reconciled to God, first and foremost, personally. We have to be reconciled to God. He's our creator. He's our life giver. He's the one who designed this entire earth and you and me. He's the one who put our hearts and souls and bodies and every part of existence together. If we're going to experience his justice, we've got to first be reconciled to our maker. We are all sinners, and our sin separates us from God. All throughout the scriptures, we see that. We see that there's not a single one of us who has fallen from God, who is not separated from God by sin. We're all in that boat together. And the only way we can experience justice is by being reconciled to God. But in order to be reconciled to God, we have to place our trust in Jesus because he is the servant that this passage is talking about. If you look at Matthew 12, you can flip there with me if you want, or you can just listen. But in Matthew 12, it says this, in verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This is the key verse. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. This is straight out of our text, quoting Isaiah 42. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. So Jesus is God's servant. He's the one that comes to establish justice. He's the covenant. He's the bridge from our 
gap between our, us and our sin and God and his righteousness. If we're going to be reconciled to God, we have to come to God through Christ. We have to trust in him, his life, his death, and resurrection. So if you want to experience God's justice, you can do everything you want, but until you're reconciled to God through Jesus, it, you can't experience it. It is impossible. And even if you were to observe it and maybe get a taste of it here on the earth, you would not spend eternity enjoying eternal established justice because you would still remain in your sin. You would still remain separated from God. But that doesn't have to be the case. You can be reconciled to him. That is the call of the entire Bible is that God has made a way for you and Jesus to be restored to him, to be reconciled to him. So the question is, if you have never trusted in him, why not do that today? The offer is on the table. Jesus has made a way. Will you trust in him, God's servant, and be reconciled to God? Once we've been reconciled to God, the second thing I believe we can do to experience justice, according to this passage, is to call the nations to be reconciled to God. To call the nations to be reconciled to God. Over in 2 Corinthians 5, this is a, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, it says this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. You hear the language? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What this passage reveals to us is that every single one of us who has placed our faith in Christ, you, me, every single one of us who are believers in Jesus, we are ambassadors for Christ. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Whether we like it, whether we admit it, it is ours. It is on our plate. It's our calling before the very God who has reconciled us to himself. One of the ideas that you're going to hear me hammer on this entire past series is that, like it or not, we're all missionaries, every single one of us. We may not be on support in Africa. We may not have theological education. We may feel like, I don't want to be a missionary. It doesn't matter. According to this text and according to the Bible, we are missionaries. We are ambassadors. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It is impossible to be reconciled to God and not also be given the call to, to invite others to do the same. So the second way that we're, our role, our way that, the, the way that we experience God's justice is by calling the, the nations to be reconciled to God as well. Will you embrace this calling? Will you embrace this identity of being an ambassador and begin to see your life through that lens? so that you don't see all of your relationships as avenues by which you can consume, but avenues by which you can call them 
to worship the same God that you do. It's a complete reversal of the way that we're prone to live life. Now, God wants us to be reconciled to him, and he wants us to be restored to him, and he wants others to, do, to be reconciled to him as well. But as we talked about earlier, there is definitely a horizontal aspect of this. There's definitely a part of justice that is completely about this earth and creation and humanity and our relationships with one another. How in the world are we going to experience justice on a horizontal level? Well, the first thing I want to point out is that we have to trust Jesus to establish justice. If we're going to experience this, we have to trust Jesus to establish justice. So no matter how messed up this world is, what we have proven again and again and again all throughout history is that as humans, no matter how hard we try, no matter how smart we think we are, no matter how long we put every ounce of energy we have into it, we are unable to establish justice on our own. When we try to do that, what happens is people start oppressing other people. I mean, just look at it. For a little while, maybe somebody thinks that they, they've got what it takes to finally bring in new world order, to pr- finally bring in pr- peace. And what happens is because of the brokenness and wickedness of man, no matter how good our ten- intentions are, no matter how much we want it to happen, we cannot establish it on our own. As this text talks about, the servant brings it forth. We have to receive it. And so the first thing that we have to understand is if we're ever going to experience justice in our world, we have to trust Jesus to bring it. We have to beg him to bring it. We need Jesus to change our hearts. We need him to change the hearts of the people in our world. And until we begin seeking that and put our efforts into prayer and begging him to do that, we'll never see it happen. He's promised to make it happen. So I'm not saying that it depends on us, but I'm saying our way of experiencing it and tasting it is hitting our knees and asking God to bring it. Not trying harder. Thankfully, there is a day coming. You can read about it all throughout the Bible, but especially in the New Testament, especially in Revelation. But there's a day coming when Christ will return and he will establish justice in his perfect kingdom. Will you trust? And as this text talks about, will you wait for that day expectantly, longing for it, knowing that it may not come tomorrow, but it will come. And no matter what we do, we can't establish it. We have to look to Jesus to establish it. Now, God has promised to establish it through Christ, and we can't make it happen on our own. But what the Bible does communicate to us is that once we have been reconciled to God and once we have been changed, once our heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, we are called not just to call the nations to be reconciled, but to work for justice, to join Jesus in his mission of establishing it on the earth. So the last thing I want to point out is that if we want to experience justice, we can join Jesus in doing justice. Notice that it's connected to Christ by which we can actually play a part and get some skin in the game. Apart from him, we're dead in the water. But with him and in him, most importantly, we can be an effectual agent for change in our world. 
Micah 6.8, the text that we're going to spend three weeks starting next Sunday. We're going to spend three weeks looking at each part of it. But it says this. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Man, those of us who like simplicity, what does God want? Here we go. To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So very clear right here in Micah 6, 8, we are called to do justice. God wants us to pursue it with everything that we have. He wants us to do what Jesus did, to lay down our lives for the rights of the oppressed, to lay down everything that we have so that those who are marginalized and victimized and abused would be free to join him in his work of setting the captives free, of bringing light to the nations through the gospel and through justice. One of the things that really bothers me is that when we get stuck in dichotomistic, is that a word? (laughs) Dichotomistic thinking, where we think it's either the gospel or justice. What this text, what the big idea I talked about earlier is that they are not inseparable. Justice is impossible without the gospel. But the gospel calls us to more than just a message. It calls us to get in the game, to give everything we have, to use our resources, to use our bodies, to use everything God has given us to establish righteousness in our world, to establish justice through Christ. Not on our own, but in him. So I don't want to spell it out for you, but what I want to do is make you get, I'm going to give you some homework that's even more difficult than just some simple pat application. Will you go home today and for the remainder of this week, will you, will you get on your knees and will you ask God this question? Show me my role in doing justice. Show me my role. What have you gifted me with? Where have you placed me? What are the relationships that I have that you want me to steward so that justice comes to my world, right here in Dallas and around the entire globe. I don't know what that answer is, but I know that God will give it to you if you ask him for it, because he has promised to establish justice, and his heart beats for this. So let's not just leave and go, okay, that's a nice truth, and go about our daily lives. Let's get on our knees and say, God, show us. What do you want us to do? How can we join you in establishing justice? God's servant, Jesus, is going to establish justice in our broken world. And he's going to do that by reconciling the nations, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, to the Lord God, our creator and life giver. Will you, first of all, be reconciled to God? Secondly, will you call others to be reconciled to God. Third, will you trust Jesus to establish justice? And finally, will you do, join Jesus in doing justice? Let's pray.